0: Isn't it lovely to be aware of the working of the Holy Spirit? Isn't it lovely? And you know, we need this. Child of God, we need this. Because it's in times like this that our hearts just unfold before the Lord. Listen to me. It's in times like this that our hearts unfold before the Lord. Sometimes we have to move past the... The normal things, and we have to go into the flood plain of the Spirit, and in the flood plain of the Spirit, we just flow with God, and then He does in three minutes what we could not do in three hours. It's just what the Lord does. It's what He does. And so, Lord, I just also want to say that we honor Your presence here today. We bow before the presence of the great I Am. There is no one like You, Lord. No one like You. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you reveal the face of Jesus to us today. And we're going to partake in communion. I hope you have the bread and the cup ready. And we are so blessed to be able to partake. And it says in John 6, verse 53 to 54, I'm reading from the Living Bible. And listen to these powerful words that Jesus says. So Jesus said, With all the earnestness I possess, I tell you this, unless you eat the flesh of the Messiah and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who does eat my flesh and drink my blood, listen to this, has eternal life has eternal life, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. God's got this all worked out. Even before you were born, he knew everything that needed to take place in your life. He knew his plan, he knew his purpose. Even before the foundation of the earth, before the world was established, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. God's plan has forever been coming together and it is continuing to come together and ultimately God's plan will be fully realized. But how you participate in God's plan is you surrender to Jesus Christ. You don't take him as an add-on, you take him as your everything. You don't take him as an addition, you take him as your all in all. There's something that I've seen. I've seen that people that will put God first in their lives, I mean really first. People that will put God first in their lives will experience incredible things in God and in their life and in their purpose in God. If you will put God first, God says, I will do things which will blow your mind. And I will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ever ask or think. And so when Jesus gave his life for us, He's saying, would you now lay down your life and take up my life in the cross because you are crucified. It is not I that lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. And so here we see clearly how Jesus says, with all the earnestness I possess, I tell you, that you have to drink of the blood symbolized in the cup. You have to eat of the body symbolized in the bread and you will have eternal life. Lord, we lift up the bread to you right now, and we are grateful, Jesus, that you paid the price. And as we break this, we remind ourselves of the price that you paid, and we say thank you for the cross, (laughs) thank you for that salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for my sins, to reconcile me to the Father. Thank you for paying the penalty my sins and the price is paid fully paid the body of the Lord broken for you and Lord now we lift up the cup we don't treat the cup lightly and this cup is only open to those who have given their lives to Jesus Lord we lift up the cup And we say thank you for the blood. Thank you that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our iniquity, our sin, our shame, all of our shortcomings. And Lord, as we partake of this, we just take a moment to say, please forgive us for things that we've said or done lately that have not been right. We're sorry. We confess those things to you. Thank you that you forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of the Lord shed for you. Now you just allow allow gratitude just to rise up in your heart. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. You are so wonderful. May we never ever stop thanking you for the gift that you've given us. In Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have hope, folks. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have hope. (laughs) Hope. Lots of hope. It says in Romans 15, verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I speak to any spirit of despair, we break its power here in Jesus' name. And we release the hope that comes from God into everyone's heart and mind. Despair be gone in Jesus' name. Spirit of heaviness be gone in Jesus' name. But thank you that we will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Well, we're going to have a moment of giving into the Lord, and then we're going to get into the preaching of the Word. And so there'll be an opportunity to give for those online. The details will be on the screen. Those in the house, there'll be an opportunity to give at the door as you are leaving. And there's also these Zapper codes on the seat back in front of you. Father, thank you for this time of giving. We give out of obedience, appreciation, grace. And we thank you for all that you have done. Ultimately, everything that we have is from you. And we honor you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your blessing on this offering. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The details are now on the screen. By the way, have you enjoyed worshiping the Lord together today? It's been a beautiful time. It's been such a beautiful time. The title of what I'm sharing you with you this morning is The Book of 1 Peter, and this is part five that we are busy with today. And would you please take up your Bible, say this after me, this is God's Word, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Fantastic. The book of First Peter, part five. Now, we have been exploring what I would call solid teachings. Solid teachings that Peter, the apostle, was sharing with believers spread across Asia Minor. They had been spread to these Roman provinces because of persecution. Peter was encouraging these believers to stand firm in the midst of growing persecution. And we know that in years, shortly after this time, the persecution began to grow exponentially. And so the message was relevant then and the message is relevant now, still relevant now. Perhaps in some ways, because of growing persecution in the end times, the message may even be even more relevant in certain respects. So we've completed four parts so far. There will still be a few installments to come because I really don't want to rush. You know, we could quickly rush through and it's all done, and, but we haven't really journeyed and gotten our teeth into it. So there's still a few more installments to come, and I do ask you that if, if you missed any of the sessions, Please, would you listen online? It's easy. Go to chooselifechurch.com, click on sermons, and you've got the the audio, the MP3s of the sermon. You can listen in your car, but we want you to get a hold of the whole of 1 Peter. Now, as we launch into chapter 3, everyone say chapter 3. That's what we're getting into now. As we launch into chapter 3, can we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts this morning? Can we allow that? And so we ask, Holy Spirit, would you please work and speak and do and change and have your way? You are the potter, we are the clay, we open to your molding and your shaping. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, and this is verse 1 to 12. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Let's get into it. It says as follows, wives, likewise. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy woman who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror, husbands, likewise, dwell with them, that's with your wife, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor, I like that, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together. Of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. That's quite something. Verse 8 Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Last verse, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That's you, child of God, washed in the blood of Jesus. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And we thank the Lord for his word. Aren't we blessed to have the word of God? So please keep your Bible open in this time of sharing together. So you can just glance down as I refer to verses. Keep it open, please. So today we will touch on this important subject of submission in marriage. And everybody goes, yippee! All right, we're touching on submission in marriage, but I wanna say to you, please don't switch off if you are not married, please, okay? Don't switch off if you're not married because one day you will probably get married, young person. Is there any young person that you say, yeah, I wanna get married? Okay, the hands just go up so, so slightly. You don't want anyone else to really see, but inside they go, pick me, pick me. And so one day you'll probably get married, young person, or maybe some of you here who are perhaps widowed, you might be counseling somebody, giving them guidance in their marriage, and you can learn as well. Maybe some of the the younger widowed people that you're saying, well, don't, don't forget, I'm still gonna get married, okay? And we pray that God would fulfill your heart's desire. But let's be willing to learn even if you're not married. Is that okay? Good. Now, there are three points that I'd like to share with you today. Point number one and two, we're going to spend the most time on. Point number three is really brief. So here we go. Point number one, wives, respect the authority of your husbands. Now, we want to learn about the Bible, am I right? And this is what the Word of God teaches. Wives, respect the authority of your husband. Can we say this all together? Wives, respect the authority of your husband. Last time, in part number four, we spoke about the importance of government. Do you remember? Human government, human authority. When we spoke about that, I explained how God sets up government. The Bible says that he establishes government. There's no authority which has not been established by God, and he establishes government in order to bring about order in society and to avert chaos. There's a reason why God does that. But in the same way, God has a pattern of order for the family unit that he wants to bring into place in every family. And when we follow his pattern, there will be harmony. But also when we violate the pattern of God, there will be disorder and even chaos. Many families, even Christian families, don't understand why there's so much chaos in their family. And it's because they're not seeing the divine order of God, which actually brings blessing. Now, look at verse one. It says there, wives, likewise, Be submissive to your own husbands. Now, this is probably one of the least popular Christian doctrines in the world today. But I don't care what people think about it because I care about declaring what the word of God says. And also, when you understand what God is truly saying, you realize it's not a heavy burden, but it is liberating and causes the family to flourish. And so it says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. So the New King James Version says, be submissive to your own husbands. The New Living Translation puts it slightly differently. It says, accept the authority of your husbands. And so I chose to use the word in wives, respect the authority of your husband. Now, how many of you would agree with me that submission is one of the very misunderstood subjects? Many people misunderstand it. They get the wrong end of the stick. I want to make it clear what submission is not. Submission is not stifling the wife. It is not controlling the wife. It is not dominating a wife. It is certainly not manipulating, that is devilish. Submission is not inferiority on the part of the wife. It is not blind obedience, not at all. And so there's some people that have gotten the wrong end of the stick and I wanna say renew your minds in line with what God is saying. And when you understand God's heart on this matter, you will discover that it is liberating and that his design, his plan is the best. But what is biblical submission all about? In the Amplified Bible, it describes submission as follows. I'm gonna read this twice to really drive it home. Amplified Bible describes submission, being subordinate, not as inferior, but out of respect for the responsibilities entrusted to husbands and their accountability to God and so partnering with them. That's quite a mouthful. Just let it sink in a little bit. Submission is being subordinate, not as inferior, but out of respect for the responsibilities entrusted to husbands and their accountability to God and so partnering with them. I would submit to you that that is actually quite a balanced way of bringing submission about and helping us to understand it. Also, something else which I'd like to mention here is that submission, or the word submit, can be seen as the act of falling in line with God's design. To give you an example, that there are uh, sort of uh, pictures here, even into sports and into military and so on, when we talk the word submit, For instance, do you realize how important it is for a soldier? Take a soldier, for example, that he needs to report to his proper place within the ranks that he is in within the army. And when a soldier reports to his proper place, he is falling in line, and that is submission so that the whole battalion or platoon or whatever can work together. Another example is a soccer player. A soccer player needs to play in their correct position. They need a fall in line, and that is submission. And so when a soccer player who's meant to be striker takes up the position of striker, that's good. That's submission to the dynamics of the team. And it shouldn't be that a guy on, you know, right wing, he says, no, I want to be keeper. uh, Because that's, that's, no, no, no. If you fall into line, you go into the position so that you can all work together effectively. And I've discovered, listen to this carefully, submission is about understanding roles and being agreeable to your role. That's what it's about. And when we understand our roles as per God's design and we get into our roles, we work together most effectively. Listen to what one theologian says. The wife is called upon to respect the God-given authority of her husband, while the husband should exercise that authority in a loving and gentle manner. For marriages and families to run smoothly, there needs to be one appointed leader, and God has appointed the husband. When a wife accepts her husband's authority, she is accepting God's design and is giving her husband leadership Responsibility, I find that interesting. Now let me tell you, part of the problem is that some husbands just don't wanna lead properly. Come on now. Some husbands don't wanna lead properly. They don't wanna take up their responsibility. And in that case, it's actually not a submission problem, but it's a leadership problem because the husband can't get his act together. And the husband is faffing around, not taking responsibility But I want to challenge some of the husbands here today that have not taken up your priesthood in the home. I want to say and challenge you, lead with valor, lead with honor, lead as the priest of your family and be a blessing to those that are serving and part of your family and honor them with your servanthood. That's what it's about. Come on, you can give the Lord a hand for that. And so I make that appeal to husbands. I challenge husbands, lead with valor, lead with honor. Do you realize that there are some wives that are crying out for their husbands just to lead, man? Get off the couch, stop being a couch potato. Get up and lead your family. Lead them in the ways of the Lord. Lead them in righteousness. Be that example. Now, verse 6 indicates that Sarah, get this, called Abraham Lord. Ha ha. ha. Ouch. Now, we're not suggesting today that wives, you should call your husband Lord. That would just be weird, okay? You don't need to do that. But you know what? In ancient times, it was actually just a common title of respect and of honor. And maybe if we were to translate that into today's world, perhaps it could be taken to mean my dear husband, which is what the message translation renders it. And so as a wife says, hey, my dear hubby, give me a hug, and you know what, there's that honor respecting the role, so maybe you can go with my dear husband. So, now, a couple of things that we are learning in this passage today. One of the things that we learn is that submission can cause an unbelieving husband to be won over to Jesus Christ without saying a word, that's quite something. That is the power of a submitted life and the difference it can make. You see, a wife who is lovingly submitted to her even her unsaved husband can have a profound influence on his spirituality. That's what the Bible says. And I believe that what Peter was saying is essentially he was reassuring the wives that look, you don't have to preach at your unbelieving husband. You don't have to preach at him. But you live a life which is an example, an honorable life, and then your life does the talking so that you don't have to preach at your husband. Very interesting. The power of bringing somebody to salvation, even through submission. Something else that we notice, um, and I just want to preface it with this question. Let me ask you this. Have you ever noticed how society tends to focus on outer beauty come on for a moment have you noticed that when you look at the whole advertising culture and the advertising world it is abundantly clear and that's just the way it is some things they never change that's just the way it is and it was the same in Peter's time the focus on the outward beauty and it is the same today but What we learn through our passage today is, yes, we should take care of our physical appearance, but listen to this, realize that inner beauty is far more important than outer beauty. Do you actually believe that? Because if you believe that, you're believing something in line with the heart of God. And so many of us are so exceptionally, overly focused on the external. Meanwhile, God looks at the heart. Now, verse three and four, let's just read it. I'll read it in the passage translation. It says, let your true beauty come from your inner person, not a focus on the external. For lasting beauty comes from a gentle and peaceful spirit, which is precious in God's sight and is much more important than the outward adornment of elaborate hair, jewelry, and fine clothes. There's a scripture in uh, Proverbs 31, which also backs this up. Uh, It says, Proverbs 31, verse 30, it says, charm is deceptive and beauty does not last. Do you realize this? Everybody's trying to have every kind of cream on to make you look exactly at 75 what you looked at 35, but somehow even the oil of delay ain't gonna do it. you know what I mean? It says here, and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Do you see the rightness that God brings about? And I wanna say this, that there is nothing wrong with doing your hair beautifully. And wearing lovely clothes. And I believe that we should be encouraged to do that. But here's the point. It should never become an obsession. Never become an obsession. And in this, let me also say, please take care of yourself. (laughs) Please keep yourself looking good. Come on. Am I being real for a moment here? Please take care of yourself. Keep yourself looking good. After all, the Bible does say, arise, shine, for your light has come. I mean, you've got to get yourself looking decent in the morning when you arise and shine. Now, I know I'm quoting that scripture out of context, but give me a bit of leeway there for a moment. And so we need to keep ourselves looking good. You know, there are some husbands here that your underpants have got so many holes in that they do not belong in the house anymore. And your wife just wish, she's thinking, I gave him those underpants five years ago for Christmas. And I got all these holes in And the husband says, no, but they're comfortable, honey. You know what? You take those underpants and you start cleaning your bicycle with them, all right? You get rid of them. Come on, come on. I see. I'm uh, touching on some relevant things here. Okay, let me move on to the wives for a moment. Now, uh, now it's getting quiet. Now it's getting. Now, some of the wives, you have some of those PJs, some of those pajamas that are still from honeymoon uh, seven years ago. You need to get rid of them. Get some gorgeous looking pajamas. Come on, come on. <laughs> and as for those slippers that the dog chewed and you thought you would still wear them, send them back in. I think it's important that we try to look good for each other. But here's the real issue. Never let the outward appearance become an obsession. If it becomes an obsession, you are thinking in a worldly way. But when you are focused on the inner beauty of the person, then you are thinking in a godly way. And it says in 1 Samuel 16, verse seven, it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, hallelujah. So let our minds be adjusted to what God wants us to be thinking and understanding. Number two, husbands, honor your wife and treat her with tenderness. Don't you like that? Say this aloud with me. Husbands, honor your wife and treat her with tenderness. Let me ask you a question. What are some of the telltale signs that a husband is treating his wife well? One of the signs is that the wife will be flourishing. The wife will be thriving. And the wife will be blossoming. And so when you see that in a wife, you know that that husband is looking after his girl real well. And by the way, when she is happy, then the husband's life will be better. You've heard it, happy wife, happy life. Am I talking to anybody here today? Now, by the way, that's not in the Bible, but it's true nonetheless. It is true. Now, look at verse seven. I'm gonna read it in the NLT. It says, in the same way you husbands, husbands, are you listening? You husbands must give honor. Everybody say honor. Honor. Give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. Wow, that's quite something. I find it so wonderful. You can see when a husband when you witness a husband treating his wife like a queen isn't that such a wonderful thing to see and you can see he loves her he adores her he is tender towards her and treating your wife with understanding is more than just a kind attitude but it also involves sensitivity to her needs sensitivity to her desires sensitivities to her gifts, sensitivities to her dreams, sensitivity to her abilities. Listen to this. A man who respects his wife will protect, honor, and support her. He will respect her opinions, listen to her advice, and be considerate of her needs. He will relate to her both privately and publicly with love courtesy and sensitivity and so this is how God wants us as men to treat our wives but husbands take note that if you do not treat your wife properly you could face spiritual barrenness in your prayer life because God says that your prayers will be hindered now that's pretty serious That shows me just how important it is that we get our relationships together because nobody wants their prayer life to be hindered. And so it shows me how important it is that we relate correctly. May I give you a few ways, just a couple of practical ways for men to honor your wife? Build her up with your words. That is powerful. Speak well of her. Defend her reputation. If you really love her, you defend her. You defend her reputation. Insist that the children will respect her and honor her. It's your responsibility. If the children are not respecting the wife, it's the husband's fault because he's not insisting that they respect mom. What are some other ways in which you can honor your wife? Thank her often. Say thanks a whole lot. Compliment her for her cooking. You say, but sometimes, pastor, she serves me a burnt offering. (laughs) Well, I don't know exactly what to do there. That that is a challenge. But thank her anyway for the burnt offering. Tell tell her you love this Cajun kind of style or something like that. (laughs) You know how else you can honor your wife? Tell her she's beautiful. There's a reason that you went after her. Tell her she's beautiful and pray for her. That's a massive thing. If you really serve your wife, you will pray for her and buy her flowers and show her tons of affection. Show a lot of affection. That is the number one thing women desire from their husbands is affection. And just by the way, as Dr. Miles Monroe used to say, the number one thing that a man wants from his wife is sex. But Dr. Miles said that, not me. (laughs) Don't get nervous in the service here. Now, when the Bible says the weaker vessel, we need to understand this correctly, because it is only referring to physical strength. It is not referring to aptitude, intellectual ability, or anything like that. Now, in terms of this, uh, obviously, generally speaking, uh, men tend to be stronger than ladies. But I have seen a couple of guys, their wives are so big and they little wimps and, and the wife beats them up and so I just say, dude, go to gym, go to gym, all right? Just get bigger, grow up, grow up. But in terms of it, Mandri is not as strong as I am. I've got this thing where I can... Uh, get her to lean over my arm and then I grab her behind the back and I flip her around and uh, I actually posted that on Facebook a little while ago. So I I am stronger than her. I mean, she weighs half the weight that I weigh but if she was to try to flip me around over her arm, (laughs) she would just check in straight to casualties. You know what I mean? It's just not gonna work but even though I am stronger than her, she's a lot brighter than me in many respects And she's quicker on getting things and answers and maths and so on. And I remember in high school, we were together in high school in the same class, in the same matric class, and she did a lot better than me in matric because she's smart. Come on, give my wife a hand there. So when we talk about the weaker vessel, it's only referring to physical strength. And Peter was talking about this basically to inspire men to protect and care for their woman. That's so important and I wanna give a very stern warning to men here today. Listen to this, to all the men listening online and here. I wanna say never ever raise your hand to a woman. Never ever do that. Come on, I need some more support on that. Never do that. You never raise your hand to a woman. If you do, you should be ashamed of yourself firstly. Secondly, you are a bully, and thirdly, you are a criminal if you do that. And I want to say, if you, any, any lady here, has been uh, a victim of being hit by a boyfriend or a man or something like that, you do not stand for it. You go straight to the police station and you report it immediately. And then you come and speak to your pastor and you come and tell your family and so on because that kind of stuff is absolutely no-no. Never raise your hand to a woman, man, never ever. We need to realize that God has given us strength to protect and not to harm. Can I get a loud amen on that? Now, Ephesians 5 verse 25 shows us the power of God's love towards his bride, the church. It says, it says here, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loves the church. Do you see the, the extreme example? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And so what did Jesus demonstrate for us? He demonstrated a self-sacrificing love. It is the kind of love that is powerful. And the God kind of love is not selfish, but is generous in its giving. And a man who really understands how to serve his wife will realize that it's not about what I can get out of it, but it is a servant-hearted attitude that God calls for. And so I want to say that it's very clear, God's heart, that he expects here. Now, on to point number three, which I said is very brief, just to recap for a moment. Number one, wives, respect the authority of your husband. That's what we learn in 1 Peter. We also learn point number two, husbands, honor your wife and treat her with tenderness. And then the last point, let's strive to live in harmony. Please say this with me, let's strive to live in harmony. This is a brief point, and look at verse eight of our text. It says, finally, all of you. Now we'd been talking to wives, we'd been talking to husbands, and now Peter says, Everybody, okay. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Everybody say blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, there's quite a bunch that's said in those two verses, but perhaps the most important words here are, one mind, compassion, and love. Let me say that again, one mind, compassion, and love. So, let's strive to live in harmony, how? One mind, compassion, and love. Now, this theme of love and unity It occurs several times in the book of First Peter. And what I'm discovering as I'm looking into the Word of God, that this aspect of love, compassion, and and, uh, being of one mind and living together in unity, I'm discovering that in the New Testament days, this was a far more prevalent culture in the church. And I fear that today, this culture is maybe op- operating only at about 60% of what it was back in those days. And so I'm saying that I'm being challenged through the book of First Peter. I pray that you would be challenged to realize that God is taking us to a higher standard of loving each other, where we stop being so selfish in our lives and we actually begin to genuinely look at the needs of one another. Are you hearing God? Are you hearing God? I praise God for the many times people have come into this place and into this auditorium, and they say the following, that they have really sensed the love of God here. Praise God for that. But I believe that there's far more that we can grow and develop in this area and that it can become an oasis of the love of God. And so we cannot afford to live carelessly in respect of our brothers and sisters, but we need to live considerately. And so I want to urge you, child of God, I want to urge all of you, would you purpose in your heart that I'm going to be a kind and a considerate person, and I'm going to walk in love, not in your own ability, but through the love of God that flows through you into the world around about you. Have you received the message today? Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise, please. Let's stand together and pray. Dear Father, we want to thank you for today. Lord, I'm going home after these two services. I'm really rejoicing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence, for your love. Thank you for how much you love us. Lord, we want to be real disciples of Jesus. We don't want to settle for B-level Christianity. We want to serve you flat out, God. So we just say that we place our lives in submission to your word that we have been exposed to today. I pray for anybody here that has experienced brokenness in the realm of marriage because the godly order wasn't there, but there was chaos and there was brokenness and there was pain. I pray, Lord, would you do a work in their lives, Lord? Would you bring about a new beginning in people's hearts and lives? And we want to live in a way that honors you. And so we just commit our lives to you afresh, Lord. And now as your people go into this week, I pray that they would go with your blessing. I sincerely pray the protection of God over you. I pray that there would be a hedge of protection around about you like there was around Job. I declare that the angel of the Lord encampeth around those that fear him. And so we thank you for your protection. We thank you also, Lord, that we will be fruitful in this week. I pray for businesses and people, students, and studying and doctors and all of that, that we would be fruitful in everything that we do, teachers in schools, lecturers in universities. Make us fruitful for your kingdom's sake. And we give you the honor for all the blessing that we will walk through, uh, walk in in this week. And we say, Hallelujah, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a wonderful Sunday.